Hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. I am stoked to be introducing this conversation this week because it is the first episode of a three-part series. Yes, a three-episode series on resolving conflict. We take you through the entire process of how to show up in conflict in a way that will be productive. I'm particularly excited about this series because conflict brings about everything that we are about as leaders. It brings about progress, innovation, it brings about relationships. All of those sort of things are born, I would say, are born out of conflict. So I can't wait to get into this. I hope you get some great things out of this and know better how to show up productively in conflict after listening to this three-part series. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Conversation. This is Chad. I'm here with my comrades, the usual suspects, Adrian Kaler and Dan Takini. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, doing great. Excellent, thanks. So good to be with you. We are coming off of some, uh, some packed weeks, yeah? <laughs> we yeah, we uh, had 12 graduates in our Master Coaches Academy, which was just a beautiful process to see. I got to go through the academy, and uh, man, my life and my the way that I stand for leaders will never be the same going through that process so thank thank you both of you for uh for for assisting in that process or or facilitating that process you're welcome man what was the biggest thing, what was the biggest thing for you man you know uh it was interesting this last time we were challenged to write our eulogies <laughs> And uh, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about is legacy. What do I want my legacy to be? And um, how am I going to create that? And that was just such a, a giant aha for me as I thought through that process. And I'm still thinking through it. I'm actually rewriting it. And I think that's, it's going to become a regular practice for me, whether it's every six months, every year or something, just rewriting that eulogy and thinking of what I want the legacy to be that I leave in this world, because ultimately that's what we're working for, right? Is that legacy that how, what dent will we make in the universe that will be meaningful to us? And, and that was giant, but just all together, the whole thing is it's rigorous. Um, it's exposing it, but it's so building. And, um, you know, we do these exercises where you're filmed and you, you put together these presentations and, and, we film each other doing them and then we get feedback and there's just, there's no hiding in the process. Well, I, and I'd like to, you know, I like to imagine that what we do, cause I've seen it happen. People enter a flow state for months at a time after, cause there's, and they're amazed at how long, like they'll say, well, this was awesome, but it seems to be wearing off. Well, it's because if you keep practicing it, you'll regenerate that mm. flow state. But I do think that we're, we're on to, a natural breakthrough, like naturally being able to access that part of the brain, that part of the human existence is to, is to bring forth that flow state where your brain's going to operate at a much higher speed, more effectively, you know, than it would if you're in a self-conscious state or you're, you know, you're, you're worried about how you're doing. You're constantly looking to see if you're okay, completely slows the machinery down and, and the flow, right? Of yeah. Being human. 
And the, the enjoyment down. I mean, I think that's why the eulogy experience is so powerful for people because usually the eulogy is about others. Like the emotional side of the exercise is like, oh, my family, my closest friends, you know, you're imagining them and what impact you want to have on them. And all of a sudden I am less and they're more. And there's this synchronicity, which happens, I, you know, whenever I'm like fully engaged in coaching work, I'm like with the person, like, like with like almost like the same person with them. I'm feeling their feelings. I'm having their concerns. I'm wondering from their perspective. I'm, you know, uh, navigating their circumstances with them. I'm like fused with them, which is like, you know, and, and the hour and the, the time we're together goes by super fast and very productive and things happen that I couldn't have planned for. Yeah. yeah I um, love it when we start finding, hearing ourselves say things we didn't know we had to say. It always blows me away when, oh, yeah. did I just say that? I didn't know that was going on for me. <laughs> so this weekend, I, uh, I spent time in Hawaii with uh, this group of very impressive guys, like nine of us, I think, or 10 of us, very brilliant, accomplished, entrepreneurial, um, you know, interested in the, in the human condition, interested in the human arc and where we're headed and all the conversations around that, extremely well-read. Um, and uh, a, a dear client of mine was the guy that invited me. It was his 50th, 50th birthday, and he was inviting me into his world, which is a huge honor, and I'm getting to know the people that matter most to him, and some of them have been friends with him for 50 years, even. One of them, had, they've known each other since, since they were in diapers. All the other ones kind of he collected over the years, but all had this very, you know, uh, engaged personality to them, which is so, so cool to be like in a, a guy's weekend, but there to have deep conversations. Really cool. And with some of them, you know, I was talking about the, our work with people. And one of the guys uh, was telling me about a coach that he had once. And he, he'd hired this coach and then, and then fired her after three months. And I said, well, what didn't work about it? And it was like, well, she had me just filling out paperwork the whole time, like doing exercises all the time. And, and, I, and he says, is that what you do? I'm like, I would never, I don't do that with people. There's, not, there's a very different... Something, something else happens when it's, I'm just there to just do writing assignments all the time and report on what I think about my life based on my previous experience. That's a very, that's a very different outcome than actually to be in a conversation in a way that something brand new can happen, right? Didn't even know that something, you know, it's like there's a surprise that's coming in the conversation. We don't know until we get in it and explore it's hard to describe that sometimes or it sounds so weird or it sounds especially for this gentleman he works in high finance he's an investment banker and you know he, he's a pretty linear type thinker um uh but he you know he asked a ton of questions after that if i okay hold on you don't do the curriculum thing you don't do the content-based thing what do you do so it's very explained to him but they very much contextual view of exploring context and what is there. And if we have an eye for discovery and an eye for possibility, how so much more is already there in front of us we didn't even know, let alone what's possible. And, um, and I, that, that connection point, he and I were just connected for like an hour just talking about that. It was a, just a wonderful exploration. But different than, hey, what do you do? And like, what's the process? Well, there kind of isn't one except for deeply engaged conversation. And there are there are principles, yeah, right. There are there hidden principles. There, yeah, there are principles, but there's not like a step plan. Right. You're gonna tell you're gonna tell me the process, actually. Yeah. You don't know it yet, but you're gonna tell me the process. And, and I'm gonna, gonna do bring is, up principles along the way, but but it's up to you, my friend. 
And we're going to look for conflict because the points of conflict are the openings for new possibility. That's because right. that, normally I was thinking about that coach doing all that writing assignment. I mean, I, I think coaches are afraid often if they're not well-trained yeah. to deal with the conflict that comes up like, oh no, this is, we, we, we have not have this, right? Yeah. Or instead of let's understand why this is here. Let's understand what's going on. What can we learn from this conflict? We want to go towards it, right? Like, yeah. Hold to it. That's I a, just, just, just t signed up with a, another new client and she's interesting. She also used to have a coach and I was, I've always explored what didn't work in the previous relationships just so I know what they're, what they're, what they're, what they're there to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and it was interesting, uh, like their relationship had been really business oriented and then some stuff that came up personally and, and, and the client had said, oh, she wasn't qualified to have those conversations. And it kind of went too ethereal, a little too woo woo for her. Um, yeah. and I bring it up here because, you know, to make something happen in business, if, I mean, if you're doing it as a solopreneur, you might pull it off. But if you are like a freelancer, you might pull it off. But anytime you've got a team together, all your personal stuff is coming to the table. And it is either the conduit through or the, or the you know, obstacle to business results. You know, how we manage the space between us and how we cultivate that space between us. And are we actually willing to realize there is a space between us? There's a thing called the relationship. And it's either just happening or we just, or we craft it and human relationships naturally get positioned and get, you know, uh, at odds with each other and get misaligned. That's normal. Um, and if we don't take, if we don't take it like a, take initiative and, and think about as a part of the team's vision, Oh, what type of relationships are we going to have on this team? That seems so non-business oriented, but it is either the well, conduit or the obstacle. But it, it is, I mean, if you think about it in the industrialized, you know, we just came out of the industrial revolution, right? And so there was, there was a, if you will, a, a, a Cartesian view. There was me over here and then the job over there. And then whatever's going on in my life has nothing to do with the job over there. And so there's this traditional or historic uh, siloing of my personal life from my business life as if my, my personal life or how I relate to life isn't going to influence my impact and my ability to hear and speak into people's lives. And we get so transactional, right? It's like, um, and, and then if you're not transactional, it raises suspicion. And that's, that's really where the greatest opportunity is, was when people make the connection between, oh my goodness, how I'm relating right now is impacting my ability to hear my teammates and what's up, what they're up against and what's wanted and needed. So. Yeah, I think Adrian, you asked what was one of the most impactful things for me in this last Master Coaches Academy. And I think it all, I recognized it in this process. I don't think it's the first I experienced it or, or, or um, intentionally did it, but it's this interesting thing I used to, my old way of operating was to avoid conflict. Like I, I ran all of the things that everybody else, not everybody else, lots of other people run, like I'm not good at conflict. Or, uh, you know, I, I, all of those things that we make up about ourselves of how we show up when there is a breakdown. 
And I would hide from that. I would run from it. I would avoid it. You know, all of these tactics that we're actually going to talk about the way that we interact with or, or the way that leaders interact with conflict. And the thing that has changed for me in this work, and I really started to recognize it over the last three months in this process, is that I now have the desire to run towards the conflict. Mm-hmm. And what, what is it that gave you or opened up transformed your desire to do that? What are some of the things? Because I now see what's possible on the other side. Mm. If I'm willing to hang in and use the tools that I've been given or the the tools that I've learned, if I can hang in and I can use those, then I know that the relationship in which I'm having the conflict is going to be X, the, the possibilities in that relationship are exponential. But so, so when you say tools, I mean, this is good. I just want to get clear about yeah. what actually, I'm trying to feel what one got across you. So what kinds of tools get opened up that like, oh my goodness, I ought to begin it. I ought to get in there. Yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, I'm, I'm no longer, I now know that I can hang in the unknowing. That's one of the tools. I don't need to know where this thing's going to go, what I'm going to say next, what the result's going to be. I can just be there. I can turn my ears on. I can recognize when I'm getting into my shit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, all of these things, all of these things that I've learned from, from you gentlemen and from the just life experience in this work of like, okay, this is fine. This is the natural course. This is the, the, the thing that came up, has, keeps coming up for me is conflict is the natural course for relationship and leadership. Mm-hmm. If we don't have conflict, we're not going anywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. There's you're going to have conflict because, you know, it's the old saying, it, there's nothing more entertaining than when a plan meets reality. Right. <laughs> it gets, it's, it's entertaining. It's like, oh, that didn't work. And now what? Now we're going to morph it right out of the box. But I, I found that I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to a client Saturday and she was talking to me about some difficulties she was having. And I was noticing again, the patterns in her conversation, like she had certain patterns in her language. Um, she would emphasize what wasn't getting done or what this person, what her spouse wasn't doing. Um, she was emphasizing his falling short. She was emphasizing how this happens at work. People fall short and don't live up to what they say with her. And then like, so there was this emphasis on what people don't do for her, but there was an omission. So like pattern em- emphasis, then there was an omission of what she might be doing to contribute to that. Like, like what, there was no conversation. So I just asked her, I said, you know, I get it. And I kind of repeated back what I heard. Seems like this happened. And she goes, yeah, that's exactly it. I go, do you notice what's missing? And she said, she thought for about it, for a minute. And she goes, no. I said, I haven't heard once you talk about how you might have stimulated, contributed to, you know, held in place, avoided anything that might have contributed to this hap- these conflicts. Like, you seem to be missing from the equation. Man, she stopped for a long time. And then she, we, the conversation got rich from there. when Because then she started looking into that area, right? Hmm. So and I yeah, know for me... That's a big deal. And when I just, that's what I heard you talking about. That's huge. And I, I completely left that out, but that has become, we were describing it. That has become default now. Okay. I see where this is going. What is my contribution to the breakdown? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal when people start. I know for me, Adrian and I had a great talk the other day and I was, ups I was upside down. He was helping me get through it. And he said a couple of things that made me stop and think and go, huh, we radical, radical transparency and then radical openness. Cause I, I was just being really open or transparent. And so was Adrian. And then when he said something, some things back to me, I noticed they flared me up and went, Oh, I wonder what's that about. Right. I wonder what's going on for me that I'm all upset about this. And we had a great conversation out of it, but yeah. I know for me, it really helps when somebody goes, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Did you just hear that? I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? Where'd that come from? I didn't say that. Yeah. Right, so that, it's such a great state breaker because then that helps me show up right now in the moment and go, yeah, hmm, what is that? I don't know about you, but I often, I feel, and I know neurologically, if you do any neurological studies, we, we feel uh, like a few hundred milliseconds before we think, or maybe even longer. And sometimes I'm feeling, I don't even know what it's about. There's some conflict going on internally. There might not be anything going on externally, but I, I noticed I might be upset because I'm anticipating something could be accurate, may not. But if I can catch that and understand it or vet it with someone that could save, you know, a breakdown from going longer or separating the relationship or sabotaging the, the project. Right. Mm -hmm. And to just by slowing down and catching in real time, as Adrian was saying, and then hear yourself say things you didn't know you had to say, mm. but, that then you could sit and chew on them for a while. Think about them. Yeah. I think we get um we get an interesting look at conflict because we all deal with uh, a lot of leaders every week, and most of them were working on some sort of conflict that they're up against, and so we get to see how a lot of different people show up in a lot of different conflict. And, and I think that's unique because most people uh, are just seeing their own conflicts, right? Just because they don't do the work that we do. And so they're, they see their conflicts, they see what's, what they're up against, but they don't get to see how a lot of other people relate to it. So I think it'd be interesting just to have a quick conversation about what are some of the, what are some of the ways that we see people, mostly leaders, showing up in conflict that are not helping their cause? When like a client is describing, let's say, one of the VPs of the company, and he's describing things about them he doesn't like. I'll, and I, I usually say something like, oh, I understand you have you know, judgments about Frank. And they'll say, oh, no, I don't have judgments about Frank. Because they yeah. don't like that label they don't like that label but that's what it is right it's like oh frank is this way and they're not saying it like oh frank's this way and i bet he can get better or frank is this way and you know i, I i'm here to help him no. yeah it's more like frank's this way and that's the way it is that's why it's the way it is he will frank, always be this yeah. way. it's this way and whose fault is it frank and that's because frank's this way yeah so and what I, I bring that up first because I think those are really invisible to us about all the conflicts that are present. Like one way to look at it is like all the judgments I have in my life is a conflict that I've not been willing to, that I'm just stuck in. You know, he's this way, it's this way, I'm this way, even conflicts within ourselves, like the things we don't like about ourselves, we're in conflict with ourselves about it. And we usually, you know, it's a, like a dead end road, like that's just kind of the way it is. This is no longer under construction. Um, it's just is. I've got it, you know, I've just got this shanty house. That's it. 
<laughs> um, instead of like, oh, like it's a project and I'm building and building, you know. Um, but that's one of the first things is like what we think about others, what we think about the situation, what we think about ourselves. We're in conflict. Like whenever we have, there's something about those things or myself. And, you know, when I usually, when I'm relating to myself in a shameful way or a judgmental way, I'm actually relating to myself as something out of, outside of myself. Like I'm talking about myself in the third person instead of from an ownership seat. So that's, I mean, I think, I think that, that the orientation I have towards another is where conflict begins. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because a lot of times um, I'll be asked, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm going to go in and talk to my, you know, my CFO, my whatever CMO, and, and I've got to talk to them about this situation. It's conflicted. Can you help me think about it? And what they, when I ask them, sure, what do you need? What ultimately comes back is how can I determine beforehand how this is going to go and how can I make sure I come out on top <laughs> right that in the background that's ultimately because I'll say when I start to talk to them about preparing to go into the conversation they'll go no 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 I don't know you don't understand I already know what's going on and I want to make sure this happens and, and I say well okay good no makes sense um, it's like when you when you get out when you go out for a hike and you got, you're trying to get to this top of this mountain. Well, you might run across trees across the path. Then what do you do? Like, like have you, what are ways for you to go into the territory and learn what it's going to take to get to where you want to go? Because if we work with what you already know, we're probably going to end up where you already are. <laughs> and, and so let's, but I don't want to let go of what I know, right? And makes sense because the fear of, making it worse often keeps executives from ever even really engaging it and mm -hmm. trying to, it, usually it's a series of workarounds to keep making the point, which exacerbates the, the difference or the chasm between them and the person they're conflicted with, rather than go in to say, you know what, I'm going to go in there and do some forensics on what's wanted at home, what I might not be seeing. I wonder well, I wonder what I'm not seeing. I wonder what I don't know. I wonder if what I'm making up is accurate. You know, and, and not that you shouldn't make anything up, but just like, are you willing to wonder about what you're making up? Are you willing to test it? Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's crucial to going in to any conflict is that, open, that, that openness to, to hear or listen for what you really prefer not to listen for or not yeah. to hear. I was telling you guys before we hit record, I'm working with a client right now who's in really at a pivotal point on a very important project. And one of his key players walked out on him. Somebody who he needed to make this project go, it's about to get purchased and uh, it's a big deal. And the conflict, I mean, his typical approach to conflict is to steamroll. Just to come in, this is how it's gonna be you know, and, and our last conversation, I just said, Hey man, I wonder what would be different if you were curious about where your partner was rather than bent on telling him where he is. Yeah. You know, when you say that, that's so powerful because if he could find out where he was really connect with locate him, he would probably find new ways to invite him into what he's wants to get done rather than <laughs> doing more of the same thing and wondering why he gets more of what he really doesn't want. Mm. I think that's one of the key 
indicators. Like how many, how many times do you want to butt your head up against this wall? That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, telling him where he is or even probably telling him where he should be. Right. Yeah. I'm guessing that's also in, yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. I, I was telling, I forget where the, who I was talking about. I don't, I think, I don't think I shared about it very well when I did, but I remember when I got into this work, one of the labels in the work that really helped me. Um, and I remember where I was exactly. And Dan, you were there. We were, at, we were at lunch and I was talking about something and, and you and the other guy we were with were just pointing out to me how like moralizing my language was. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it. And moralizing meaning, um, and you could describe it probably better than I can, Dan, but like having, deciding to label things as right, wrong, good, bad, wrong, you know, healthy, broken, like all these categorical good and evil ways of looking and labeling things in my world that really, you know, essentially created this very bifurcated good is good, bad is bad, you know, healthy, good unhealthy bat, you know, avoid, you know, it's like it created such a small universe for me to operate in and, and, and really tainted a lot, created this really odd experience in relationships, because if it was one of the bad relationships, then I was there to like make it good or something or there to avoid it. Um, yeah. but very, very moralistic view of the world. Oh, a lot of shame around it, right? Shame is such a, a, toxic experience human experience because it it shears us from the relationship if I, if it's if i'm if you're talking to me about something i think is wrong i won't be open the minute i i know that it's wrong i'm not open to understand anything more about it really yeah. i start gathering the evidence and i come become very dogmatic about what's wrong and i can't hear what the other person's saying it's pretty hard to hear somebody that you have judged as immoral, which is really what happens, right? Like yeah. I think about the, in negotiations, um, and we do these negotiation exercises in some of our, our workshops and people will be negotiating <clears throat> for something. And they'll, if the other, like they'll ask for something. And then the way they make the request is, uh, wouldn't it be nice if all of us did this together? And everybody said, yes, it would be nice. And then they, they take that as everybody's going to do what I just, what I suggested. And then when they don't, they'll say, oh, you can't be trusted. And now I won't trust you anymore. And without investigating how they made the request, the other person goes, well, I didn't agree. I just said, it would, you asked if it would be nice. <laughs> right? And the other person will say, well, you know, you should see it because that's the right thing to do. They, they, they couldn't just come to terms with the fact that they never really asked anybody to do it. They yeah. suggested that it would be nice if they did it. And everybody agreed that it would be nice. And now I've taken that because I'm afraid to make the direct request and find out who's saying no and then learn about the no so I can even get closer to them. Yeah. Right? And I think part of conflict is I don't want to hear no instead of, you know what, hearing no is a good thing. It creates trust between, if you can say no to me, and we can talk about it, you're gonna trust me much more than if it's not okay for you to say no. It always has to be the way I want it to be. I'm gonna be very careful about how I talk to you, but if, if I can say no, 
then I, we can have a dialogue about, well, what's no about? What happened? What, what can I learn from this no? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we wanted to, <clears throat> this is fun because we're going to take three episodes of the podcast to, to actually talk about how we can create some opportunity out of conflict. Mm -hmm. So right now, if you're listening and you're noticing some of these behaviors in yourself or in your team, noticing some avoidance or some steamrolling or any of that kind of stuff, I encourage you to, to really take a look at how you're operating in conflict because we can take this idea of conflict and we can make it as an integration into building a stronger, more productive, more profitable, closer team. And um, these principles really understood creates a drive to run towards that conflict. Get, creates almost an excitement. There's, there's an excitement I get, even in my marriage now, when I, Dan and we, Dan, you talked about in one of our previous episodes. Uh, oh, no, it was, it was one of the social media clips that we did where you were talking about one of your experiences in prison where a gentleman stood up and said, what the hell do you know? And, and you're, the, the, man, rich. the person that was training with you got a little uneasy and you said, no, this is good. Now we're getting somewhere. We're connected. We're connected, right? I know who's really over there. Yeah. And I can learn something about him. Like the fear that they're, that people don't want to go where you want them to go. Uh, the question is, they may get there on a completely different route than you imagined. So if you can be with them wherever they're at, they're more likely to follow or to connect or contribute to what you're committed to, even though they may not go where you want them to go, which is, I don't know about you, but that, that I think is probably the most, the most dynamic way to enter into a conversation. But I think as a leader or as a, you know, a business leader, I think the fear that if you got into those conversations that you'd never get back to the mission, mm. like somehow you would get distracted. This is what I've, a lot of the guys I work with are gal, women too, the same kind of conflict. Like for women, a lot of times they'll, I've heard them say, I don't want to say that because it's too intuition and they, men won't receive it, which is, I encourage them. Well, no, no. So what? They don't receive it. Then you can learn about it and then open up the possibility. But let, let, you know, let's talk about it. And the same thing's true with men. Men will, men, I think men fear conflict in many ways, at least the ones I've coached more than the women I, I coach. And I think the evidence of that is the need to control the outcome. The more I need to control that outcome, the less I'm willing to learn. And probably I miss the outcome more often than somebody who's willing to learn. At least that's my experience. Yeah. And if I get the outcome, what price am I paying when I drive my team that way? When I'm not willing to listen to them, how long will they be willing to put up with that kind of force, right? Before they are a flight risk or they're exhausted or burnt and they feel like they have no community, no place to really contribute. Right. Yeah. A big deal. I, don't, I don't know where it's going to fit, but uh, we ought to at least what, one of the observations that I have all the time uh, in these types of conversations is there, I mean, there's a, a natural excuse, whatever you want to call it, reason why people don't have it and it's in relationship to time. Uh, yeah. Part of the experience people having when like we're really busy and overwhelmed and all that that's like wonderful i mean usually that 
type of thinking provokes a desire for efficiency. And in most people's mind, conflict is not efficient. <laughs> right? It's not fast. They, they think that, right? It's not efficient because, because there's all these things. Like it's like opening Pandora's box. Like, oh, if I really ask, then I don't know. I mean, they might say, I know what he's going to say to avoid it. But if they actually do ask, I don't know how long the conversation is going to take. I don't know what's going to happen later. You know, if I let, you know, the cat out of the bag or whatever analogy you want to use, I don't know how long it's going to take. Right. So that's part of at least the thinking around the, the risk probably involved in conflict. And, uh, you know, and at least my experience is, is usually even just the conversation we just had, Dan. And we, I know having that conversation, whatever day that was, Wednesday last week, Thursday. Yeah. Thursday, I think. I know I saved a handful, five or six hours of arguing with you in my head by having the conversation. No, me too. It was really valuable. Yeah, you know, it's like talking about it for 20 minutes saved me five hours of arguing with you in my head. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's a lot of stress. It, yeah, conflict is, I mean, the willingness to go in and explore something and having even just, I didn't know having the conversation was going to be resolved in 20 minutes. And it's not, I mean, and part of it maybe is even that's the viewpoint is like that, the idea of like having resolved conflict. I, I, I don't know that. I think that that's a function. I think the delta there, the differential, is how transparent and open are you willing to be in the conversation? Transparent meaning uh, you're willing to say what's there for you, exactly how it's there for you, and open meaning you're willing to consider what's said back to you. As open, like, it, like oh, okay. And I noticed you were real open and transparent, so was I, so it cycled pretty quickly. Neither of us really reacted as much. You know, it was more about just, hey, I'm feeling this, and oh, what'd you think about that? And, you know, well, that's not true for me, but I do hear this, and back and forth. And what, what was great was, by the end of the call, I was completely detonated. You know what I mean? I was off it and realized there's, and I started seeing things I could do, direct requests I could make to open up what I was thinking wasn't available. Yeah. So it'll come up. I bring it up because, you know, I'll argue that this, it, getting to the conflict faster is actually is the efficient move. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and will relieve us from a lot of the self-induced. Like the avoidance of the conflict is the self-induced side of the pain. And well, it, and to think that you're not going to think that I can carry conflict around with me about, let's say you or Chad, and not have that impact how and what I communicate to you. That's where a lot of siloing comes, right? I don't want to give you the information because I'm afraid of what it's going to stir up because the relationship's not landed. Yep. You know, I don't want to break rapport. And I'm afraid that if I do, I'm not going to get what I need from you versus I'm willing to put what I need from you on the shelf and connect with what's wanted and needed, what's missing from me to you to have that happen. Very different way of thinking, you know, and if, if, if you sit and talk with anybody in conflict and you ask this simple question, what is the issue? Because that's what I found myself doing as I was talking, I kept asking myself, well, what is really going on for me? What is the issue? Right? And the minute, I can frame the issue accurately and a ton of 
energy dissipates, right? I can, oh, that's the issue for me. Now I can be straightforward about that. Mm-hmm. But I think first is both parties agreeing to what issue they're going to talk about. Because I think particularly in a conflict, it's often, I've seen it in marriages a lot, and I've seen it with executives. Each one has a different issue, a little different issue. And, and if you don't nail one of those down and you deal with that one one at a time, you go like this, you miss each other. You talk past each other. Yeah. Or you conflate issues, right? Yeah, conflate that- them that issue becomes every issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the time and always, always and never. You always and never. <laughs> Adrian, I think what you're saying is so, is so important for us to frame this conversation that we're gonna have is that, uh, or that we are having, is this idea that it is inefficient to address conflict. And I know, I was just relating to, and, and backing up what you're saying, I know for me, if I'm in conflict with one of you, say, at at work and and I'm not taking care of it because I'm making up that that's going to be inefficient. It's going to take time. I don't know where we're going to land. I don't know if I'm going to look good, right, or you know all of those things. Not only does it make me less efficient in my work, because like you said, I'm spending a lot of time running the wheels in my own mind about how am I going to show, like how am I going to look, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then when I go home, I'm not fully there with my kids and I'm not fully there with my wife and intimacy goes down and uh, my playfulness with my kids go down or my ability to perceive needs amongst my friends is not there because I'm running that story and I'm running that conflict in my mind. So it, it, I think the inefficiency of an un, I don't like resolved either. I like how you, you know, I don't know if it's ever resolved, but um, that conflict controls the, the, the impact of that conflict that's unresolved or untaken care of or unaddressed compounds over every area of my life. Right. You know, you, you brought up, that's a good point because, well, first off, conflict's going to be natural if you have a team of diverse people and everybody's talking about diversity. So, you know, diversity doesn't guarantee a lack of conflict. It guarantees more conflict. Right. Which is not a bad thing. It just means more learning. Yeah. But I, I think it's often, and then there's, there's a fundamental, I know Adrian and I have talked about this before, but there's a fundamental approach to resolving conflict. And there are two basic views of that. One is, what is your intention in this conversation? And the other one is, what will we do? What strategy or mechanic will we use to carry out our intention? And I've found that if you have a team of people and half of them are going to be, they think that they've got to make sure that it's the mechanic, that it's the strategy, it's the things we do that are going to resolve it. And the other half of the group thinks that it's the way we, our intention is how we're relating to what we're doing and how clear we are about the outcome. that, That creates a whole new level of conflict that's very subtle, but it keeps spinning it up because every time people go to the structure and to get that straight before they've gotten clear about the relationship, those who are about the relationship or how they're intending it will, will resist and vice versa. When those who are looking at their intention and trying to look at how they've contributed to this and what relationship needs to be in place that's missing, 
are going to get resistance from those who think it's the mechanic because they're going to say you're wasting time. You're avoiding what needs to get done. And, and I think, I know for us, we, are, we, we believe if you get your mind right, then you're going to find the right strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So how, what's wanted and needed. And, and all action comes out of relationship. So if the relationship's not right, what kind of conversation needs to occur appropriately timed and set up to open up the kind of relationship that'll generate the action that you're longing for, that's wanted and needed. That's a, that's a different world, yeah. Let's talk about that setup, Dan. I think that I, I want I want to give people some some tools and some context in which they could be successful in these conflicts and feel like they could achieve this vulnerability and this openness that we're talking about um, over these next couple of episodes. So this episode, I really want to talk about preparation. How do we prepare to address a conflict that we're having? with somebody that we're leading. And you already talked about one of them, but I want to, I want to get a little more detail on it, on naming the issue. Yeah. Because, um, some, like I said, a lot of times we conflate the issue. This issue is every issue. And we want to go in with the, with guns a blazing, you know, pelting them with everything that they're doing wrong, everything that we perceive that they're doing wrong or that we don't like about what they're up to. Um, and what, what does it look like to name the issue? What, why is that such an important first step? Well, first off, if, if preparation is nine-tenths of the game. Because if, if I've sat down and I've clarified the issue for me, this is the issue for me, then I can think about clearly what the issue is, what's, what it means to me. I can... I can cite an example of what the issue looks like to help the other person understand what I'm upset about, what's conflicted for me. So the key is, my, what's my purpose in this conversation? Am I going to go make this person wrong? Am I going in to get my way? Or am I going in to learn what's wanted and needed so we can come together and resolve it together, right? Like we can align ourselves even though we may not agree with everything, so that what we're committed to turns out. And so I've got to be clear about what I'm committed to before I go in and what the issue is. And then I've got to find a good example of it so I can show them what I'm conflicted with, just so they know that it may not be a conflict for them, but for me it is. So they know this is a problem for me. This is where it showed up. Here's a circumstance. And this is what the circumstance actually caused what I experienced about it. Here's what I felt about it. Here's what I thought about it. So I'm owning what went on for me. What if I, what would you say if I have a VP or if I have a manager that I, that reports to me and I think every I've, I have created this idea in my mind that everything they're doing is wrong. Well, I mean, okay. So, I'd have to get clear about that issue. If that's, I think everything you're doing is wrong, then I'd say, and here's an example. Right? <laughs> now, when I get to the example, if I can't find an example, I go, well, maybe it's not the way that I thought it is. Mm -hmm. Right? I wonder what it is that I'm upset about. So I've got to narrow, if I can get, that's why finding an example is so important because 
it narrows it down to what I can learn what the issue is for me. That's why if I do this before I go into the conversation, I'm much more equipped for the conversation. I'm thinking about the, just the situation we had financially. You know, I spent a lot of time understanding the issue, so I didn't get reactive. I, okay, good, this is the issue for me. This is, if it doesn't happen, and I was clear how to talk about it and see where the other person is, to connect with where they are. Much easier to do and then not be reactive because I've gotten clear about where I'm at. I'm not reactive to where they are. Now I can listen to where they're at. Yeah, part like of, when I bring up, when, I, when you bring up the subject, they're going to have reactions to it. They're going to have some kind of reaction. Yeah. For me, for me, the the the, the resourceful side of, of slowing down and getting clear about what the issue is is it pulls it out of the domain of of the interpersonal space because you know inherently. You know, it's like the example you said, if I think my manager is doing everything wrong, um, that's probably not true. Right. They're doing everything wrong. But I've decided that this guy is doing everything. Like he is, he is a wrong machine and just waiting to, you know, go out there in the world and do it again. You know, it's like, it, and it's a judgment of him. And if I slow down and wait for the issue, then I can, that I can take it out of the personal conversation and, and really think about what is the real, the, another issue is like, what's the real problem? You know, I say all the time in helping people think through these conversations. I, you know, Eileen told me this so many years ago and it's been a helpful framework for me is like hard on the problem, soft on the person. And just that simple little quip, like hard on the problem, soft on the person. It helps me think about, okay, what's the real problem here? It's not them, it's what's happening. And it could be happening through them. Like what they're doing doesn't work for me, but it's like that there's this thing out there that doesn't work for me. And then I can actually, if I want to be in relationship with them, which is usually another question I also ask is like, you know, got a conflict with this VP. Do you want them to be working here in a year? And I usually ask them that because like that, that trajectory and what they're what they're what they want for the future for this person really will color what was is really possible in the conversation. Because if they want to be in relationship with the person, they're actually going to be in the conversation very differently than oh, I'm going to fire this person in two weeks. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, this is a setup. You know, I'm I'm here to prove a point so I can fire them legally later. That happens plenty of time, and it's good. It's good for the coach, and it's good for them to know. Oh, hey, I'm not actually here. I'm gonna. I don't want to fake being this is like this is a conflict resolution i'm not i'm actually building a case to fire them which is fine but at least get clear about it um because that would be the other issue the other issue is oh this person isn't the right fit for the job uh or they're not able to produce and we need to get them in a better position or get someone else in that would be the issue then so i'm not actually there to fake like i want to resolve this thing yeah and if i like the question if, if they're doing everything wrong one of the questions i ask myself because i've been in that conversation multiple times is what do I get from framing that they do everything wrong? What, what am I setting up? What am I trying to accomplish for me in that? Where am I going with this? Maybe I should just get real about that. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a, a very important step in all of this is what do you want the relationship to be? Like, where are you going? Do you see yourself in a working relationship with this person a year from now? Or is they're doing everything wrong, just a setup 
for you to feel okay about canning them or whatever. Uh, whatever. About what you've already decided. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. it's interesting. I, I went to coffee with a guy who wanted to be a consultant with us. And at the end of the coffee time, he goes, what do you think? And I said, you know, won't work for us. And he said, why not? And I said, well, tell me about when you said to me, you guys said to me, I now, I, he's an older gentleman. He's my age, you know, in the 60s. And he, he wants to go out and do some consulting because he has a lot of life experience. He's a great guy, very smart. He goes, but I've been practicing knowing, you know, because I'm 60-something years old and I know a lot. And I, I want to do what I know. And I said, okay, good. And, and I, so I asked him, I said, so tell me something you know. So he told me. And then I started to ask him some questions about what he knew. And I said, are there things about what you know that you don't know? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, like this, could there be something you don't even know you don't know about what you say you know? And if you think you know it, do you think you'll ever discover that? Because well, I don't need to, because I already know it. Because I'm trusting myself. I go, and in and the beginning of the conversation, he told me that he's really committed. You know, he gets it about this. One of his top values is humility. And I said, well, you know, Humility is the first thing that in learning introduces us to humility <laughs> because in learning, I have to acknowledge that what I knew isn't this complete. And I said to him, that's why it wouldn't work for you to be a consultant with us because we, as much as we know, we're constantly questioning what we know in order to serve the client. And if I'm going, the client, I'm not going in with the client to, to be an answer. I'm going in with the client to be a question together because their expertise is what's going to solve the problem. It's my expertise that's going to help open it up with them. And it's going to be, and I'm going to have to challenge myself what I've already made up about what I know about them. And if I'm not open to being wrong about that, then I'm going to miss a whole lot of opportunity. So he's been writing me, texting me for the last four days, all these different things, making his point. I, and I wrote him back, he goes, why haven't you responded? I said, well, you're just making your point. I get it. <laughs> he goes, can we meet for coffee again? I go, sure, let's do it. <laughs> he, he just stung him because I said, nah, it won't work, man. You know too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know too much. No, seriously. He would, it would, I, can't, I, could, I was trying to imagine putting him in front of some of our clients. And I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, young guys out there getting it done and gals getting it done, you know, learning what they can on the edge. And here comes a guy who knows everything. So you, um, both of you talked a little bit about shame and we're talking about naming the issue, preparing a specific example of the breakdown, describing your experience and how you feel about the breakdown. How do we create this? How do we get in touch with this? We don't have to create it. It's there. How do we get in touch with this in a way that doesn't make the other bad, broken, um, in a shame framing, right? Because I, I can see for myself, maybe my initial step would be to like build this shameful case. Like you do this and you do that and this and that. And I'm just wondering, is there, are, how do we approach this in a way that it's, uh, it induces openness and vulnerability from the other party, not an attack? Well, you, first off, you, you, you can't, like the only thing you can control is how you frame it. Mm -hmm. And if, talking about something that really matters to somebody else, there's a chance, there's a high possibility I would anticipate and embrace 
any possible shame that's going to bring up because I feel shame all the time. In our conversation the other day, I was feeling shame that I, I didn't want to be where I was. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that I did not want to be there, but I was there. I thought, well, how can I be here? I'm, you know, shoot, this is not good for our relationship. I shouldn't be here. But, you know, A, Adrian was very neutral about the way he was in it. So that helped. But B, I was also catching my own shame. So I just continued to say what was there for me so I could get it out. Like even through the shame. And I felt the embarrassment of saying things I knew weren't true, but were so for me. Like, I know this isn't so, but this is how I feel. I just want to tell you that. And then by saying it, he was able to catch it and help me think through it. Like, is that really going on? And what else could be going on? And I, and he was great. I hear that sounds like this is what's going on, which helped me get to a place of hearing what my own emotions were telling me. Mm. I, I'm, I'm very intuitive. So I don't, sometimes I really don't, I just see something's wrong. I get it in my body and I have to talk about it. And if I don't, and I'll tend to go, I go, I get excited and I get elevated and, and it's really more because I'm upset. Not even, I wasn't upset at Adrian as much as I'm just upset about what I think the situation is. Then I'm embarrassed that I think the situation is that way. That's that shame. So then I try to, and I I decided I'm not going to dress it up. I'm just going to say what's there the way it's there. Yeah. And that got, got me off it quick. Yeah. You got to identify your own shame and you can help other people. Adrian was helping me through the whole thing. He was very aware of where I was. I felt him. I felt his compassion and his willingness to hear what I had to say, which made it even easier to say it the way it was. And I could get off it like that. I, I found myself getting off everything before the call was over. I was off it. Was the it was really powerful, but I think being creating a relationship where it's okay for people to feel that and then encourage them to speak through it, yeah. Because you could frame it neutral as all get out, but and probably the more neutral you are, it could flush up the shame because they don't want to even know that they feel that way. I know I didn't, right? So being aware of that can really help, right? Make a lot of room. And, and the fear that you may not get what you want out of it, and so you keep sticking that agenda in there, will produce more and more of that shame because people will get that they're not up for it yet because you're afraid they're not going to get up to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this is one of those things that takes, it's an art, right? It takes, you got to feel that thing out. I, I mean, I was really, it was interesting. I could feel Adrian facilitating that with me, and even that was shameful for me. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> guy, what the? How's this young guy doing? It's like, uh, I should be doing this with him. What the? <laughs> I trained him. <laughs> I trained this guy. Why is he training me? No, it was good. It was yeah. really, it was a holy time for me. Yeah, it was a moving, it was a moving time. I really even, even it was a great experience for me in it. Just be, and even for me, I remember in it and, you know, I'll try to comment and answer your question as well, Chad. So, one thing that's helpful and why I think Dan and I have progressively effective conflict conversations. You know, I think we're pretty, we're effective. We're, we're pretty effective compared to most at it, mostly because we have the tools, um, have the practices and have the awareness, but more than that, have a deep care and concern and love and advocacy for each other. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the soil we're in. Right. So I know, I know I want 
I know when I'm arguing with Dan, with Dan not in the room, I'm not being with Dan the way I say I am. Mm. Or the way, definitely not the way I tell myself I want to be. Yeah. Right. So if I'm avoiding him, I'm actually not in a relationship with him. Yeah. You're not acting on the commitment you say you have with him. Right. And that, that bothers me. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. It's also ineffective and efficient for me because now I'm doing that instead. Right. And I know I'm getting closed off. Yeah. And eventually um, that shit comes to the comb. You know? That's right. That's yeah. right. And, and, and it can come out passively or it can come out like I'm now creating cases against or whatever. Um, so part of the, part of that is my commitment to Dan. And, I'm, and not everybody that's listening to this has that level of commitment to your team. Like you just kind of work with these people. Yeah. You know, uh, and I would invite you to wonder why that is. Or I wonder, you know, might, maybe you just might decide to get committed to your team. Even yeah. If, you know, Dan and I have known each other for 10 years. Uh, he trained me. Um, then I, I've brought him into a lot of our projects because I respect his expertise, respect who he is as a man. He's been a deep friend of mine, one of my best advocates in my life as a person. And we're partners because of that trust together. And I want to learn from him and support him um, in the years to come. So, you know, so like maybe the first inquiry is like, you know, as, as I know there's resource in commitment. Like I know there's more that the, there, there are more possibilities in me if I decide to want what I have right here. Like if I decide to want this relationship to work out, I'm much more open, I'm much more resourceful, much more creative. I'm not just dealing with making the best of these shitty options. Yeah, which yeah. is- like, Or if there's, the meaning there's always of- another option, right? If there's always another option, I don't nearly need to commit to you because I'll go find another option. That's right. There's not a lot of resources. You lose the meaning in the relationship, right? Like, and what I want to, I'm going to caveat this a bit. Um, To be committed to somebody doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, it might, to be committed to me, it might be, hey, Daniel, maybe it'd be time for you to move on. I mean, it could be that, right? The point is, if we're having an authentic conversation, that's probably something not just you would realize, I would realize, or vice versa, right? That together we'd come to a realization. I had a guy I was working with, just recently and he was a real bottleneck on the on this engineering team that we were working with and when we got done with my first coaching call he realized that he wanted to be there because he dug the environment but the job wasn't what he liked doing but he didn't want to be in the he didn't want to leave the environment and when he saw he was the bottleneck he took himself out it was really interesting so the and and I, and even when I did that with him, like just through some inquiry, I didn't know, I wasn't trying to move him out. I just wanted him to get real about, did he want this job? Because it seemed like to me from his communication, I kept pointing it out to him, that he didn't want to be there because he didn't like the job, not because of the people or what he was doing, right? Like what they were up to. In fact, he wanted to be there with them. He didn't like the job. It was a little over his head and the work that he had to do was too troublesome. When he saw that he got out of the way and, and it opened up a huge opening for the, for the team. Yeah. And that, that, that was part of getting the, conf, getting the issue straight. Mm. Is it these people you don't like or is it the job you don't like, right? And that came through the inquiry process we train in the academy, just kind of inquiring, inquiring, and bam, we landed on that thing. He was, he gave his resignation, cleaned it up, 
left and it opened up a huge possibility for this team. Yeah. Huge. The courage on his part. Oh, yeah. He thanked me. I mean, that's, that's, and that's commitment from him, right? That's it. He wanted the best for the team rather than his desire to be there with them, knowing he was the bottleneck. And he knew that there were things he wanted to do that he could enjoy. I mean, he said, I'm just too stressed out. He was all stressed all yeah. the time. Yeah. Amazing. So one thing back to, to Dan and mine's conversation, I, it was, and it was a big combo for me. One of the realizations for me was there was a moment when I, I, you can play back the tape too, Dan. But I remember saying something effective. So, it's, so it sounds like you think I'm a fool. Um, and I realized in that moment, if Dan thinks I'm a fool, I'd like to know that. Because I could be a fool. And, yeah, foolish. I did, and I said, no, I, I think you're naive, is what I said in this situation. Yeah, that's right. And I, yeah, but it was, I mean, even, but in that, my, I guess my point in bringing it up here is, is I, one of the things that worked for me in that conversation was I, I wanted to hear uh, if, even if that were true. Right. You know, and I didn't say that, like, say something bad about me, like being, even being a fool's bad. Right. It's like, I really wanted to get connected. Was that my judgment of you? Yeah. Yeah. Was that your judgment? Was great. Uh, it caused me to check in because I, I, if it was, I was going to tell you, right? Yeah. But it was, no, no, that's not the issue. In fact, it's just the opposite. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, and, and even where we landed was, you know, you think I'm naive. That's great. You in know, this situation. And, and yeah. Well, and there are things that I understand where I'm naive, uh, and some of them are strategic naivete on my end. My, might be good, might be bad. Like, there's roads, right? Like, but, hey, I don't, and we know there's plenty of things Adrian doesn't want to be involved with. I don't want to learn about, no thanks, I'm good. Um, but that also might be foolishness as it, as it relates to the future of the organization. I need to be educated and be oriented. That's and we're kind of where the, where the yeah, boy, we, we both got stimulated. Our conversation landed was, well, what does this like optimal engagement look like? I mean, for the listeners, this was a conversation between me and operations. Mm -hmm. um, and I prefer not to be involved in operations uh, for some strategic reasons for the well-being of the business. Um, but uh, but it, it'd be good for me and definitely good for Dan to know that I'm sharing his concerns around those, those things. And, and but, that's what rose out of it was, I could see you had a real concern and that you were willing to accommodate that. And I kept asking myself, why am I so up on this? Because you know what? I realized I was afraid that you were going to do what past partners have done, which is I'm not going to touch it. Don't talk to me about it. I only do this. Right. And, and my point is you, you don't have to do it, but you ought to be involved because it affects you. And yeah, I, I get it. And then I, I didn't, but then I, I realized I hadn't made any requests, right? Yeah. It, I now need to make requests. And I thought, okay, this is easy. This part's easy because I know he'll respond to what I'm, I'm not asking. And I got it because he, he made it clear. Look, I, I don't want to get too involved. And I don't want him to, because I want him to do just what he does well. Mm -hmm. And I just want him to know the impact. So when he does what he does well, we can connect the operations into it. And so it helped, help me understand my reaction Help me understand how I could best accommodate Adrian and the organization so yeah. that we get some synergy out of it without producing more resistance. Yeah. And what and then help me understand that make the request because I was going to complaint and I was that's what I was feeling shame about mm -hmm. was my complaining. Mm 
I don't want to complain. Why am I complaining? I can't believe I'm complaining. What's well, the request? Well, I knew, and I hope this is helpful for the listeners. I mean, because uh, when you're in a relationship with someone, you're dancing with them and you're dancing with also dancing with their dancing partners. Here's what I mean by that. Like I knew, so Dan said a line in that conversation. He said, you're just like all the biz dev guys I know. That's what he said. And I'm thinking, who's he talking about? That's right. He's got some dancing partners and I, I don't even know these guys, but he's dancing with them. I stepped on my toes I, and I got mad. I know. And so all of a sudden I was one of these guys. So I'm, you know, it's worth, no, to the point of this conversation, it's worth noticing is that if we're in a real conversation with someone, I want to make something work. And, want, and in order to do that, we'll need to engage with them about what their experience has been in life, where they're coming from, what they're negotiating with from their own history and what they're negotiating with with their own future and what's going on now and their own, all their own, all those, all those complications. We'll be dancing with uh, someone else's history as well. And that isn't yours to own. Because I, I heard that, I felt that, I felt I felt the defensiveness rise up in me, like, who's this mofo thing? What, what do you mean? You know, I felt that response in me when you said that. And, and then I thought, okay, hold on, hold on. Something's going, like, that, that was the shift. In the, okay, hold on. Now, let me be here for Dan, because this isn't a conversation with me necessarily. There's some issues here first. We had to, and the, um, so anyway, my, my point being is, like, realizing that a lot of the conflict I think we have is being present to the conflict the other person is having in themselves. Right. And there's and the other point I want to make. And that, but, but that's the part that really served me because yeah. I saw you make that shift. I felt it. Mm -hmm. I knew you were checking yourself so that you could be there for me. And that really made a big difference for me. That's and a big part of this preparation thing that we're talking about yeah. is considering what are what are the other dancing partners this person has what are they and we could never anticipate all of them right as you were saying adrian you don't know these guys you whatever but they they still are a part of the conversation and to yeah. be honest with you part there is somebody i'll tell you about adrian that came up but i myself am a biz dev guy and i know at times i've often not even wanted to bother with operations and just do my thing and then not really connect them and I didn't want to deal with them right so that, that part of that's my own judgment of myself and how I've been in the past as well of course. and then there's and then I bred that in my organization and had to deal with it right before so yeah well I was back to your question Chad because um, I think it's really important and I'll, I'll tie it to um, and we've talked about this here before this this tool we use called the Harrison assessment it lays out these paradoxes that every leader has to, uh, these tensions to manage really. Uh, every leader has to dance with these paradoxes. Every team must dance with them. They're not going away. They're like gravity. The one that comes to mind for me that can create or fertilize the conversation, uh, the potential quote unquote conflict conversation is the, 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 the space between optimism you know, which is like having a view that the future is going to work out. That's optimism. And also holding it up against analyzes pitfalls. Right. So I'm there. You know, if we have low optimism stepping into the conflict conversation, there's a future in that. Like if I don't, if I'm not even willing to hold the space that this might work out 
or I even want this to work out, or I'm committed to this person no matter what, even if we're not going to do this work together forever, but I'm going to be committed to you and I want the best for you. And I think there's going to be something great after this conversation. It's not here right now. That's an optimistic view. And if we have a low awareness of that and connection to that, that's going to affect the convo. But if we can actually decide to be optimistic, something, something needed and helpful is going to happen. It might not happen in this moment, might, ha might not happen in this month or even, but down the road, something great is going to work. And I want, in order to get there, we got to look at all what the challenges are really like soberly and honestly. So th that's part of the tension, the paradox, that if we can hold both of those legs, the one, the optimism, the other is a willingness to analyze the potential difficulties that are coming, um, then that provides the context really for great preparation. I want both of these. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I ask about, I ask about how do we frame all this um, in a neutral way to use your words, Dan, I like that better than shame inducing or not shame inducing because we don't have a choice whether the other person receives it in shame or not. But that brings up the next couple steps in this preparation process that we have outlined. Um, and I think once we go through these steps, we're able to frame it in a way that we can come to the table with openness and vulnerability. So clarifying what's important, like what's at stake. And you were talking, we were talking about this. What is your commitment to this person? I think those yeah. are the exact same things, right? If, if, if you're committed to them and you want to create whatever you've committed to create with them, there's a lot at stake and naming that puts you in a position where, oh, I really do want to preserve this commitment that we have made with each other. Um, and then also owning your contribution. Once you own your contribution, there's, it shifts the way, at least for me, from my, um, from my personal experience, whenever I own my contribution to the breakdown, it completely shifts the way that I approach the conversation. Yeah, it does. And we could talk, I mean, maybe that's where we take off on the next section, on the next podcast. That's great. That kind of gets, get into some of these. And I'd, I'd like to get into some of the conversations around, like there's, we have strategies that keep us safe. You know, like I, I think about, I use this phrase a lot. We're all criminal and some of us are more arrestable than others, you know, and, and um, being able to identify when I am, running from the conflict when I'm trying to preserve myself at the expense of the relationship or even the, the mission, both or one or the other, how do I detect that? It'd be great to sit down and, and get into some of that because we've identified 18 very clear conversations that could tell you when you're doing that. Mm. That's great. Yeah. I think that's a great place to break. Yeah. Thanks for this conversation, gentlemen. I love this work so much. It, it energizes me and that I get to do it with you too. is just, it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Chad, yeah. for, for doing this, man. We appreciate well, it. My, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this. My, my experience too. And I'm wondering if it's happening for listeners is there, if they're still here. <laughs> Hello guys. Um, <laughs> is and that's what, one, one of the things I dig about this is, is the universality. We're really talking about how does a human being manage the yep. experience, you know, of being a human being. How, like, how do, I, how do I intervene with myself as I am myself in the world? And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's when 
people like to bifurcate or do, you know, I'll, I get the question all the time. Are you, you coach people professionally or you coach them personally? And the beauty of it is like, yes. you know, I mean, all, all everything, yeah, everything is personal. I mean, we try not to, but the choice to act like it's not is a personal decision. If it's going to be meaningful, it's got to be personal. Yeah. It's like, no, this is just business. Well, that's a personal choice. And usually that's code for, oh, I'm going to be about as direct and harsh as I want to here. So anyway, the, the, why I bring it up is like, is all these conversations, you know, come, come to work for me as I think about um, how I am with, with Allie, how I am with my kids, how I am with my parents, how I am with the people, with my friends, like all these conversations that are useful in the workplace are as useful and as present outside the workplace. So, you know, so as, as we're listening, as we keep going through this, make sure you at least take a second and think about where else in my life are these, could this, could I put this to work and what else could be happening in my life outside just the boardroom or outside the exec team meeting or outside the one-on-one you're having? Cause there's going to be so many places mm-hmm. to utilize this framework. And I just want everybody to get the most vitality out of it as possible. So thanks, Chad, for framing this conversation and uh, and provoking this. Excited about the next next two installments. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Have a great day. Thank you. Well, there you have it, my friends. This is part one of the Resolving Conflict series. I hope you got some things out of this. Of course, this episode is dedicated to preparing for the conversation that is difficult or or conflicted. The next episode is how to show up in that conversation. And then the third episode is dedicated to what now, that question of what now, what's the future in this conversation? If this podcast has helped you or entertained you in any way, I encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and glowing review. Also, the greatest compliment you can give us is sharing this podcast with those who are in your circle of influence, the leaders who are looking for a new way of operating. Finally, we are so grateful to you and honored that you spend your time in this conversation with us, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.